All right, well, since last July, uh, we've been focusing on learning the way of Jesus, and we've had sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, on the, from the epistles of the New Testament, from the Ten Commandments, and, and more. And all of these are, have been focusing on the unique way of Jesus. And we've seen, I hope, that this isn't simply a list of things, like theological things that we need to know or believe, but this is a way of life to learn and follow that, that impacts and transforms everything in our lives. Well, today we're continuing this final sermon series under this uh, annual theme, uh, which is called The Life of Paul, The Life of the Apostle Paul. And Paul's story, as we've said, and I think as we've seen for the last few weeks, is fascinating. It is just an incredible story, but it's also a great case study for learning the way of Jesus. Because Paul was born Saul of Tarsus, who was a brilliant young man, but was a violent persecutor of Christians. Paul hated Christians. He wanted to lock them up. He approved of their killing until he met Jesus, which changed everything. So Paul the persecutor becomes Paul the persecuted for his bold preaching about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He was initially met, as we saw last week, with fear and skepticism from the other Christians because of his past. He was famous for, for hating and persecuting Christians, but he had several faithful brothers who were willing to vouch for him and to help him, including Ananias and Barnabas. Now, three years after becoming a Christian, he had people who had tried to kill him in Damascus. We saw this last week. And so he went back to Jerusalem. And it wasn't long before people in Jerusalem wanted to kill him there too. And so the believers put him on a boat and shipped him back home to Tarsus in Cilicia in modern Turkey. And, and so Paul then uh, disappeared from the biblical record for about 10 years after, he, after, after this time. And he lived and worked in Tarsus, which is where he was born. But then in Acts chapter 11, he comes back into the story about 10 years later because of Barnabas, of course. And there was a revival or a spiritual awakening that was happening in the city of Antioch in Syria, and no one was better suited to help in that situation than Paul. But in this uh, key chapter of his life, we learn some principles, three principles, in fact, about spiritual revival or awakening, or what I'll call an unexpected outpouring of grace. Now, if you've ever longed for revival, or if you've ever mourned, had your heart broken because of the darkness of the world, or if you've ever wondered what it would look like for God to do a miraculous work, then this message is for you. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 19, Acts eleven nineteen, and we'll put the scripture on the screens for you as well. But today we're going to read through this whole passage, and then we're going to go back and unpack Paul and the revival at Antioch together. Verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews, only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was 
with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each one, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is God's word. Okay, so just a reminder, the book of Acts in the Bible was written by Luke, who was a physician, as a result of a careful investigation by Luke into the life and ministry of Jesus. Luke interviewed eyewitnesses and was present for at least some of the events in the book of Acts. The book of Luke in the Bible is all about Jesus, and the book of Acts is what happened next, what happened after the resurrection from, of Jesus from the dead. Um, so let's just start back with verse 19 to make sure we really understand what this text means before we try and apply it to our lives today. So look back at verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. We'll look at where those places are in a second on a map. Spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Okay, so let's pause here for a second. So three weeks ago, we considered the story of the death of Stephen, who was a deacon in the early church, and then a, a, the persecution that broke out against the church in Jerusalem, led by none other than Saul of Tarsus. And Saul, we saw, was going from house to house, seeking to destroy the church. And this resulted in almost everyone, except the apostles, Luke noted, being scattered out from Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, in Judea to Samaria and beyond. And we saw back in Acts chapter 8 that the believers preached the word wherever they went. Now, there are a lot of places mentioned in this passage. And so let's look at a map and see if we can uh, get a better picture of where these places are. So the persecution started in Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem, which is in the south. But whenever people in the Bible talk about Jerusalem, they always talk about going up to Jerusalem or going down from Jerusalem. It's higher in elevation. So they went down to places like Phoenicia and Antioch. Okay, so the believers were scattered as far as Phoenicia, which is a, a northern a region north of Jerusalem along the Mediterranean coast. Uh, they also went to Antioch, which was perhaps the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this point. So a large cosmopolitan city located in modern Turkey. 
Um, and then Luke writes that some men from Cyprus, which is an island there in the Mediterranean, and Cyrene, which was a Greek city in North Africa, in modern Libya, they went to Antioch and started telling people who, of Greek uh, ethnicity or Greek culture about Jesus. So initially, uh, the Jewish disciples of Jesus from Jerusalem, they spread the word among other Jewish people. For hundreds of years uh, before this time, because of the destruction of Israel under a whole sequence of empires, right? The Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire, the Jewish people uh, were already dispersed in many places beyond Judea. And so by the first century AD, there were pockets of Jewish people uh, in every place, every major city around the Roman Empire. So when the Jewish believers were scattered from Jerusalem because of the persecution um, of Saul and others, there were many Jewish communities, and, and perhaps you, know, you could imagine friends or maybe family members of these people from Jerusalem that they could run to. And so wherever they landed, Luke says that they started telling people about Jesus. And so, uh, but verse 20 in this text today, in Acts 11, marks a huge turning point. I would say in the history of the world, but certainly in the record of the Bible. Because the gospel of Jesus started to be shared not just with Jewish people, but also with Gentiles or non-Jewish people groups. And maybe most surprisingly, Luke says, it was going great. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, the reason that this is such a shock, it's not shocking for us today, because if we thought about our ancestry, probably the vast majority of us would be considered Gentiles, non-Jewish peoples. Um, but at this time, it, it rocked the church because for centuries, the Jewish people had a number of beliefs and practices that set them apart from other people groups. They weren't to marry other people groups. They weren't to worship together. They, didn't, they weren't even supposed to eat together. So it's hard for us to really understand this today, but back then, there was a wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. Now, of course, sometimes there were Jews and Gentiles that related to each other, but for the most part, culturally, socially, um, ethnically, there was a hard, there was a firewall between the two. So the fact that Greek people were coming to faith in Jesus, who, by the way, remember, is the Jewish Messiah, and that apparently the Lord's hand was with the Gentiles too, this was such a radical change to how so many Jewish people saw the world at the time, it, it took many years to work this out within the church. Much of Paul's writings in the New Testament, at least to some degree, focus on why it is that there is now no difference between Jew and Gentile in Christ. Now, it shouldn't have been a surprise. This should have been not just an expectation, but what the Jewish people should have been praying for because God had promised in the Old Testament, in their Hebrew Bible, that his Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. And that God would draw all peoples to himself through his 
son. But as is often the case, I believe, for the Jews as well as Gentiles today, accepting someone who is an outsider, particularly when that outsider has a different ethnic background or cultural background, is hard. It's difficult. It might feel threatening. It might be confusing, even at best. So, what in the world was God doing in Antioch? And how would everyone else respond? What would they say? What would the apostles, how would the apostles respond? What, what impact on the, would, would this have on the church? This is the kind of, of rift that could blow apart a, a movement of God. Look back at verse 22. News of this, <laughs> big news, guys, okay? We're like, yeah, cool. God did, was doing something cool in Antioch. No, 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 no. God was upending the church, okay? News of this chaos, as it would be seen by many, reached the church in Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Okay, cool, right? This is an amazing story. God is up to something new. And when the news that Gentiles were responding to the gospel, when, when the news that, that Gent, Greek-speaking, probably Greek-culturally people, men and women, were hearing about Jesus, the Israel's Messiah, and giving their lives to him, the apostles sent someone to investigate. What in the world is happening in Antioch? Barnabas, go check this out. Right? There's no internet. There's no email sent back and forth. You have to send a brother. And who better to send than Barnabas, of course? Well, as we saw last week, Barnabas' real name was Joseph. Joe was a man from Cyprus. And he earned the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because of his character. And he was an encouraging guy. Here, Luke says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. May that be said of us, too. But with a, a reputation like that, he was trusted to discern what was going on. Was this a movement of God? Was this a distraction to what God was truly doing in the followers of Jesus? And what might need to be done in Antioch? How do we respond? So, but when Barnabas saw what the Lord was doing there, when he saw that this was an unexpected outpouring of the grace of God among Jews and Gentiles, when, when he saw this spiritual revival or awakening, he was glad. He celebrated what God was doing. He wasn't suspicious. He wasn't critical of it. He wasn't afraid of Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus. If this new thing was what God was doing, and it clearly was, then praise God and welcome Gentile 
people as brothers and sisters in Christ. As Paul would later write in Romans 11, the Gentiles were like a wild olive branch that God was grafting into his, the tree of his people by the Holy Spirit. And so the son of encouragement's natural response was to encourage, to encourage all the people, Jew and Gentile. And what did he say? Luke says he encouraged them to remain true, remain faithful to the Lord with all of your heart. But with so many people coming to faith in Jesus, there was a ton of work that needed to be done in helping all of these people grow in their faith in Jesus, in learning the way of Jesus, and in picking them up when they stumble off the path, in helping them see where the path leads in the future. Now, some of you who've become Christians more recently or maybe have been going through a time of spiritual growth and awakening in your own life, you know how much work you've been. And if you think back to when you became a Christian, I, I guarantee if you talk to the people that were maybe pastors or teachers or parents or, or mentors or helpers in that, in that time, in that season of your life, you were a lot of work then too. So as I said last week, you can come to faith in an instant, but it takes the whole rest of your life to grow in your faith, to grow in your maturity, to grow in your sanctification. It's a process that takes the rest of life. Barnabas knew that he needed help. He knew that he needed someone who was able to help teach and lead and counsel and equip these new believers. And he knew that ideally he needed someone who understood both the Jewish culture and the Greek culture. And there was one man he knew like this. Barnabas knew that he needed to go find his fiery friend, Saul. Was Saul still in Tarsus? Barnabas had to go and see. So he went to Tarsus and found Saul and brought him back to Antioch. And Luke writes, uh, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Now, some historians think Antioch is possibly where Luke was from and worked as a physician. And the truth is, we don't know for sure, but it does seem that he writes as a Gentile himself from, and probably was a Gentile from somewhere in this region. So Luke would have understood deeply the, the social and cultural dynamics of life and ministry in a big city like Antioch. And to me, I mean, some of you are small town people and that is wonderful. But this sounds like a lot of fun to me. I wish I would have been doing ministry in a city like Antioch in this time and place. This was actually where people, as Luke said, the first place where people were called Christians, which means Christ people or Messiah people. Before this, the Jewish disciples of Jesus were known as the way because they followed the way of Jesus. And in a Jewish context, they would have understand a rabbi and disciple relationship. But outside of that context, in the wider Roman world, they, that wasn't a thing. And so the Christians started to be called Christians. But here, with the inclusion of Jew and Gentile peoples in the work of God, 
that God was doing through the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, we see here at first, the first glimpse of what would become the pattern of the Christian movement for the next 2,000 years, which did, as a fact, utterly change the course of human history. Nothing would be the same after Antioch because God was calling all people, Jew and Gentile, to believe in Jesus as Lord and to receive him as the savior of their lives and to learn his way, whether they knew what a rabbi was or not, to learn his way with his people by the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returned. Barnabas saw this and was glad. Paul was brought in to help, and I'm sure he was glad too, because it's an incredible honor to have a front row seat to watch what God is doing in someone's life. Well, let's finish this passage with verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem, remember down in elevation, to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened, Luke says, by the way, during the reign of Claudius. So the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Okay, so here we find a number of interesting things, interesting to me. First, the believers, now called Christians, in Antioch, saw themselves as united to a universal church that transcended not just ethnic barriers like Jew and Gentile, but, but barriers of time and space as well. They saw that the Christians in Judea were their brothers and sisters in Christ, part of one family united together in Jesus. And they needed their help in a time of famine. Now this unity is exactly what Jesus prays for in John 17 on the night before his crucifixion. And this unity is what, by the grace of God, we have today being united by faith with all of the other Christians around the world. And not just around the world in terms of space, but also time, going back for 2,000 plus years, going back for thousands of years to the people of faith in God. Now sometimes, sadly, there's a spirit of division, there's a spirit of competition, there's a spirit of even disdain for Christians from another church or denomination or place but this should not be. Jew and Gentile, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, all of us are one in Christ. Now second, what we see here is we see that this spiritual revival, this spiritual awakening, this, as I say, unexpected outpouring of grace resulted in some stuff. Now, one of the things we'll get to next week that was a result of this work was a missionary sending. This is what leads to Paul being sent out as a missionary, bringing the gospel to all peoples. But first, here, it resulted in radical generosity to the needs of the poor and those in need. Now, we'll come back to this point in, in a minute, but for now, just notice that faith in Jesus resulted in generosity and good works. We know that the gospel is not 
the good works that you do save you. That's the opposite of the gospel. But we do know that if you believe and accept the saving work of Jesus, it changes your life. And one of the ways that it changes your life is it results in works that are good. So as a result, the Christians in Antioch entrusted their financial gifts, their generosity to Barnabas and Saul to bring to the elders or the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. Okay, so for the remainder of our time today, I'd just like to close by briefly observing three principles for spiritual revival or awakening or an unexpected outpouring of grace uh, that we see in this passage, but I believe apply to us today. This is still true today. God is still God today. The Holy Spirit is still at work today. The gospel is still true today. We are still people today, okay? We might be in a different culture, a different time and place, but all of those other things are true, and as a result, our ministry, and by the grace of God, if an awakening happens in a small or even a larger level, it's gonna look somewhat similar. So, okay, do you want to see a revival in your lifetime? Do you mourn for the brokenness and the darkness of this world? Do you long to see God do something great, a miracle at work in the world today? Well, if so, then first we must see regular believers shared the gospel and people responded in faith according to God's grace. You might think, duh, is that what we've been talking about? No, we can't move past this principle too quickly. It was the regular people, it was normal people. It was just as normal as they were, as any Christian is, but it was just a normal Christian sharing the good news about who Jesus is and what he had done and how to respond to that that was what sparked this whole thing. That was the dynamic. Remember, the apostles were back in Jerusalem. Normal believers, everybody else was scattered. So it was, was not the direct preaching or teaching of the apostles of Jesus that directly led to what God was doing in Antioch, although the believers were bearing that message of the apostles this unexpected outpouring of God's grace was happening because regular people were sharing good news with other regular people in their regular lives. No doubt this included friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers and other random community people that you run into and rub shoulders with. And regular, as regular believers shared the gospel, then regular people responded in faith according to the grace of God. As Paul would say later, he planted God's word and another brother, Apollos, watered, but it was God who brought the growth. So we, in terms of revival or spiritual awakening, we are responsible to plant seeds of God's word. We are responsible for sharing what we know to be true about Jesus with other people. We can share the story of what God has done in our life. It's typically called our testimony. We can help, we can bring people to church physically, you know? I will pick you up and bring you if you want. We can pray for people. We can serve and love other people. We can do so many things with people, but the results are completely up to God. 
The results were only seeing that the hand of the Lord was with these people. Now sometimes, fruit seems few and far between. But other times, and according only to God's wisdom and his timing, he pours out an unexpected amount of his grace and many people respond within a short period of time. The results aren't up to us, but we must be faithful in sharing the gospel and trusting the Lord to do his saving work in his timing. Now this relates to who we are as a church. Our mission in life and in this community is sharing good news. We are responsible to do this Antioch-like work today. Maybe one to 2,000 years later, people will talk about what happened in Appleton. Number two, leaders taught and led the church, giving spirit-led order and direction to the movement. Leaders taught and led the church, giving spirit-led order and direction to the movement. So the bulk of the ministry of the church is done by the people of the church. This was true in Antioch, and it is certainly true for us today. But leadership is needed for any organization to flourish for the long run, particularly in a broken world. If you leave anything alone for a period of time, stuff starts falling apart, doesn't it not? It, anything in this world needs some attention, otherwise it falls apart. Even a supernatural movement of the spirit needs some leadership. And as people were coming to faith, they needed to grow in their knowledge of what was true. They, that requires biblical teaching. They needed some structure and organization, which required someone to make decisions and offer wisdom. They needed counseling. They needed someone to, they, many people to model what mature faith looks like, which required men and women to lovingly lead and invest in the lives of other people. So Christ is the head of the church, but he provides leaders within the church to equip the saints or the people for the works of ministry. The worst churches have professionals and then an audience. The best, healthiest, most vibrant, most often growing churches are churches that see that we all are needed to do the ministry. And the leadership, hopefully, is trying to get out of the way and provide just some direction and equipping in that work. So in this way, speaking the truth in love, the whole body is built up in unity, love, and maturity, as Paul writes in Ephesians 4. Third, and finally, we see here in Antioch that vibrant, growing faith resulted in good works, particularly for those in need. Now, I think that it's no accident that immediately after Luke talks about what God was doing spiritually in Antioch, this unexpected outpouring of grace, many people responding to the gospel by, by believing it and following Jesus and joining the church and growing in their faith and maturity, uh, we have this example of radical generosity. You know, Luke can organize his material however he thought would be helpful to us, and this is no accident. The Holy Spirit doesn't do things by accident in the word of God. Revival leads to service. We'll also see next week it leads to mission. 
But here we see people who hear about a famine coming see themselves as part of a bigger thing, a universal church, and mobilize and use their resources to share with brothers and sisters who would be in desperate need before long. Vibrant, growing faith resulted in good works, particularly for those in need. That's no different today. I know some of your stories, and some of you came to faith in Jesus and immediately started serving other people. And I think that's just the dynamic. When you get God's grace, when you get the fact that you're saved not because of what you have done, in fact, in spite of what you have done, you're loved by God first, you're given his favor first in Jesus, it makes you want to serve other people. It makes you want to love other people. It makes you want to follow the way of Jesus. The grace of God is the best motivator, whether you're a kid learning how to act in the world or you're an adult learning how to act in the world. We can motivate people by fear, guilt, and shame, and that works to a degree, but it never touches the heart. Only when the grace of God is in the equation does it have a life-changing potential. And so these brothers and sisters were changed And one of the results of that was an outpouring of generosity to people in need. So today, as we think about about the issue of spiritual renewal, as we think about the possibility of spiritual awakening, as we think about, and hopefully you're starting to feel a sense of longing building within you for an unexpected outpouring of grace, I want you to know that this is possible. We can be a part of this. Our church and this community could look like Antioch. But we need to do the simple things that we know are right and trust the work and the results to the Lord. Are we being faithful? Are we being bold? in our willingness to share good news? Do we see ourselves personally that you are called into this work? And are we trusting the Lord with the fruit? I think if we adopt these simple principles, we will see an outpouring of grace. May it be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have promised that your word is powerful. It's alive and active. And it gets, it cuts right to the heart. Lord Jesus, you have promised to give us your Holy Spirit who is the personal presence and power of God in this world. Holy Spirit, you, it was by your power that this world was made. It was by your power, it is by your power that this, everything in creation is sustained. Holy Spirit, it is by your power that we are converted, brought from death to life in Christ. We trust you, Holy Spirit, to lead us, to equip us, and to do this work in the lives of men and women around us. And Father, we pray that at the end of the day and at the end of our lives, we can look back and say, all of this was for you. All of this work, all of this ministry, 
All of the, the joy, all of the hardships, all of these things were for your glory, Lord. So may you be glorified today in our lives, in our families, in this church, and in this world, Lord. Help us to see that we are a part of something greater, that we are a part of something you are doing in this world, and that we can trust you with the outcome. We can trust you that you will bear the fruit according to your wisdom and in your timing. And so, Lord, we just ask you, would you pour out your spirit? Would you pour out your grace here and now? In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.